You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. The crazy NFL offseason just continues, does not disappoint, although I'm a little disappointed, I guess. Uh, As we record, the news of the Tyree Kill trade being uh, announced on all major news networks, well, I should say sports networks, not news networks, but yeah, Tyree Kill moving on to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for five draft picks. Yeah, we got a bunch of other stuff coming along, but that one kind of took me by surprise this morning. I saw the first report. I guess it was around uh, 10 or so that there was a probability, and then by 12.45, the trade was announced. So kudos to Drew Rosenhaus and his people for keeping that under wraps. We also have a guest today. Uh, We'll be talking more about quarterback musical chairs and where things are going, then I guess the controversial deal, a little bit more about that in Cleveland. So, Alex, all right, the cheetah is on the move. Just craziness. I mean, the Devontae Adams deal obviously has a lot to do with this, but uh, just at first blush, what's your reaction? Well, I'm hearing it in your voice. I mean, you barely got through that intro. You're still digesting that information right now. Yeah, like I said, we're just here. It was within 30 minutes ago. Obviously, Lou. I mean, the Chiefs are left with Juju Smith-Schuster, Nico Hardman, Josh Gordon, Justin Watson, Cornell Powell, Dieter, and Corey Coleman, the former first-round bust. I mean, that doesn't sound too good. By the way, I thought that the Chiefs would actually get a little bit more in the Tyree Kill deal. I mean, they got a first-round pick, but it is the 29th overall pick at the end of the first round. They got a second-round pick, a fourth-round pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, and then they got fourth and a sixth in 2023. I actually thought maybe the Jets would give up one of those first-round picks in the top ten. They do have a fourth and a tenth, and I thought that would be more appealing to the Chiefs, but I'm sure Veach is going to get creative you know, use this pick and his pick in order to move up. But I'm not sure that they're going to get a wide receiver in the first round. But I'm happy for Tyree Kill, and I'm happy for Drew Rosenhaus. I mean, the Dolphins are giving Hill a four-year, $120 million extension, which includes, what, $72 million guaranteed? I mean, that's crazy. All kind of scratched our head when Devontae Adams was traded last week to Las Vegas Raiders. And his average was like $28.5 million per season. He was the highest paid wide receiver for a week. Now Tyreek Hill takes that title. Yeah, as far as the Hall is concerned, yeah, it's unfortunate that the Dolphins were picking so low. But by the same token, I mean, they had traded their picks last year or whatever. So they end up with the 29th pick that is actually the 49ers pick. Obviously, the 49ers have uh, uh, made their deal for... Uh, Trey Lance and that whole thing. But anyway, I guess the bottom line is this. I don't know what the Jets had offered. Maybe they weren't willing to pay him the extension that Miami was willing to. I think Drew Rosenhaus being from South Florida, having that relationship with the Dolphins, the fact that Tyreek lives in Miami, trains in Miami, all signs pointed towards her. So given the fact that it looked like the teams interested were so small 
and that's where he wanted to go, that I think he did as well as, as expected. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, were there players that they might want to take on? What contracts would they want to take on from the Dolphins? You know, one of the, you know, Xavier Howard, or, you know, who else really is there that you'd want to take on? So bottom line is, again, just digesting it off the first look, it looks fine. You're never going to get equal value for a great player. I don't think Green Bay got equal value for Devontae Adams, but this is where we are. And uh, I've talked about it before in previous uh, shows. NFL players are finally starting to take cues from their NBA brethren, uh, Major League Baseball to some degree, but all those contracts are fully guaranteed. But as far as the movement and LeBron kind of being a great player, that has shown the affinity to move around. And these guys are looking at this and saying, yeah, I can get paid, go play where I want to, and get a lot more guaranteed money. Whereas in the past, it was very rare to get guaranteed money beyond the first year in an NFL contract. And now you're seeing, and we'll talk about Deshaun's deal later, but a lot going on here. The offseason continues, and it's just a whirlwind. Hill was selected to the Pro Bowl in all his six seasons of his NFL career. I just want to remind you, last year, he had a career best a year and a Chiefs franchise record, 111 receptions for 1,239 yards and nine touchdowns. So this isn't a player on a decline. Again, I'm looking at the wide receivers left on the roster for the Chiefs, and it's only Travis Kelsey. I realize that the Chiefs will address this position in the draft, maybe once, maybe twice, but I don't see them drafting a wide receiver in the first round. I really don't, unless a guy slips maybe to the well, end they of the need first a lot round. Of, they, one, they need a lot of help on defense. So I think even if they do package some picks, I don't know that there's any, there's a lot of good wide receivers in this draft. Don't get me wrong, and I'm sure they'd be happy to select one, maybe with that high second-round pick, a Sky Moore from Western Michigan. You know, So you might see that, but edge rusher is a huge need for them. And, you know, I don't think they were willing to pay that kind of money to Darius Smith or any of the veterans out there. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to take some work. You lose a guy like that. I mean, yeah, it's, the Packers are going through the same thing. Offseason is rolling. There's still moves to be made. We'll see what happens and what happens in the, in the you know, in training camps and, and who goes where. But, the Miami uh, Dolphins, I want to mention that. I mean, they've been extremely busy. They're doing everything in their power to help aid into his development. I mean, before we've always heard about that, how can Tua succeed? He doesn't have any weapons. He doesn't have any. He doesn't have an offensive line. Now they get a true number one wide receiver in Tyreek Hill. They got Jalen Waddell, who's coming off, I mean, a 104 reception season for over 1,000 yards and six touchdowns in his rookie season. And he can basically do the same thing that, that Hill has been doing in the NFL. I mean, he was a guy that always took the ball and, you know, could strike deep for like an 80-yard reception at Alabama. Miami never used him in that regard, but he had a great season. They signed Cedric Wilson in free agency. He's going to be a number three wide receiver. They franchise tagged Mike Gesicki. They signed to Ron Armstead to make that offensive line even more lethal. So they're doing everything in their power to surround Tua with as many weapons as they can. So this is going to be a fun offense for Mike McDaniel to get creative with. 
again, we don't know what it's going to be. We know what his DNA is, is that is the, the running game and creative running game. Uh, they brought in Mostert and, and, uh, and Edmonds as uh, running backs. Obviously, a lot of speed there, a lot more speed with Tyreek. Waddle, which again we talked off air a little bit, it was where I mean it was a lot of dink and dunk to him, but he does have speed. I mean, obviously we saw him at Alabama, what he could do. So yeah, I don't know that two is going to have any excuses this year. Not that he really had any before, but given the weapons, given the upgrades on the offensive line, I mean they're they're going for it just like all these other teams in the AFC. Miami's looking up at Buffalo and say, hey, you know they've got all these weapons. We got to be able to score points. How are we going to do it? So uh, again, great move by them. Again, we shouted out Drew Rosenhaus. <laughs> the guy's been a master for many many years, and his uh, South Florida connection will continue. I wanted to mention Devontae Adams though. The way the Packers got themselves in trouble with Aaron Rodgers and that PR nightmare going kind of back and forth where Aaron Rodgers didn't feel wanted, I feel like they did the same thing over again with Devontae Adams, which is absolutely preposterous because you bring back Aaron Rodgers, you smooth that situation out, and then you kind of piss off your star wide receiver where you never give him that huge extension. You just don't have the money to do it. But I'm just surprised that he got shipped to the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, there's a, a lot of a lot of other factors here. I guess with both wide receivers is maybe they just wanted to move. You know, Devontae Adams, I mean, it's been fairly well chronicled that he's always wanted to play in the West. Uh, his boyhood team was the Raiders. He grew up around there. He played with Derek Carr at Fresno State where they put up ridiculous college numbers in two years, I think they both, you know, had been outwardly saying, well, geez, it would be great to play together, great to play together. He owns a home in Las Vegas. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on here, and a lot of this parallels with Tyree Kill, not necessarily playing with a better quarterback or a different quarterback, because I'm sure going from Mahomes to Tua, as you mentioned so eloquently, won't be as good. But, uh, hey, money's talks, bottom line, you know, and maybe the Packers were willing to get into extension talks with him, but, you know, they had a big deal to do with, with Aaron Rodgers, got that done. And Devontae, maybe we don't know what they offered him. Maybe it wasn't enough. Maybe these other things, you know, pulling him towards the coast was, was too much. And then the Raiders stepped up. Player movement, man. I mean, guys want, want to have some control. And it may not be the best thing for them, but if it's what they want, then, yeah, these teams make it happen. Get what you can while you can. Otherwise, you're going to lose them for nothing. Speaking of wide receivers, we've got a good one here coming up. He is a rangy wide receiver, formerly of the Mountaineers at Appalachian State. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Number two, Corey Sutton. Corey, welcome to Pros Like Us, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing all right. It is officially uh, draft prep season. Has been for several weeks. You got your pro day coming up at the end of the month. We're contractually obligated to ask. Height, weight, speed, unofficial. Height, uh, that'll probably stay around the same. <laughs> That's probably about, they usually have me around 6'2". Uh, weight, uh, I've been around between 205 to 208. So I'll weigh in somewhere around there. And then uh, speed, I mean, I feel like that's going to be a, a great strength, a uh, good number I'm going to come down with uh, that people are going to see on pro day. All right. What are you shooting for? 
fast as I can get. I'm shooting four. <laughs> All right. Is there going to be a three as the second number or a four? One of those for sure. <laughs> right. Both your mom and dad went to App State, and you chose Kansas State coming out of high school. How did that go? I mean, as far as the decision, it had to be a tough one. Yeah, it was definitely a tough decision. You know, I was getting looks from a lot of a lot of great schools uh, all over the country. Obviously, Kansas State, you know, they were in the Big 12. You know, I felt like they had a great receiver coach and Coach Coleman, and, you know, I felt like it was a, a great opportunity for me. And, you know, I was leaning towards App probably a little bit more. But uh, my dad actually convinced me a little bit more to go to Kansas State, so he kind of leaned me towards Kansas State even more. Uh, I was kind of leaning towards App myself. All right, so you weren't there long. I mean, one one season. What ultimately got you back to North Carolina and then eventually App State? Yeah, when I was transferring, you know, I knew the App State culture because I grew up watching those games and following those guys. I already knew what the App State culture was, and when I left Kansas State, you know, I wanted the culture like that. So, you know, I didn't want to leave and go to an unfamiliar place where it might not be kind of what I thought it was going to be. So, I kind of knew what I was getting with App, and you know, I was excited. As soon as I knew I was transferring, I kind of, I had some other schools of interest, but you know, I was leaning really hard towards App, so it wasn't that big of a decision coming to App, and it was, you know, exactly what I thought it would be. So, was it as simple as wanting to go home, or I guess what was the stumbling block at K State? I mean, they didn't throw the ball that much as an offense. And then, you know, just to, and taking care of my body and developing me as for my goals as getting to the next level, you know, I just felt like App State was a, a better fit for pretty much everything. Now you have a, a younger brother, Cohen, freshman, also a wide receiver on the team. What would you say as far as his development? Is he better than you were at that age? Uh, i say he's around the same. He started playing receiver a little bit later than me, and, uh, you know, with COVID, he didn't get to play his senior year of high school. Last time he played was really his junior year of high school, and then he came to App early in January instead of playing his senior senior season in high school, and then he had foot surgery. He injured his foot during camp his freshman year, and so he just got back from that. But, yeah, he's definitely on track. I mean, he's a really hard worker. He works probably harder, if not just as hard as anybody else on the team. So, I mean, he's real focused and dedicated. You guys had a very deep and experienced wide receiver group uh, during your time at App State. Thomas Hennigan, Malik Williams, Jalen Virgil. How did those guys make you a better player? I mean, we all made each other a lot better. I mean, everybody kind of brought, you know, something different to the table. And uh, I knew a couple of those guys before going there. You know, I knew a lot of guys at App before I went there and stuff. And we even played against each other or together in high school. So, the best thing about that group was just the camaraderie and how we never had any, you know, ill intentions or hate going on within that group. You know, we were always happy, you know, for each other, and we always fed off each other's energy. And like you said, it was, um, you know, a veteran group, so we always carried the team along. And, you know, we were together since 2018, so, you know, it was a great group of guys. So you had a, a great career there at App State, but uh, one play seemed to catch the attention of the national media, a touchdown versus Marshall. Uh, it was on SportsCenter's top ten, and it was the number one play of the day. Take us through that play, Corey, and how did it all unfold, and what did you see, and what was the reaction on the field? Yeah, so I think uh, it was in the fourth quarter, and it was a tight game. And uh, at the when we switched from the third quarter to the fourth quarter, you know, we had like a little minute or two break. And, 
we had the ball, I think, on our, our own 30 or 40, and uh, we called a play. It was basically just like, I'm just going to run straight, and we're just going to throw it up the court, you know, make a play. And so we did that on the first play of, of the fourth quarter, and that brought us down to about, like, the 30-yard line. I went and got the ball. I think it was over number six. And then two play, I think it was the next player, two plays later, caught a, a post corner route, five steps going straight, and then three steps to the post and then back out. So I ran my route, and I think they were in like a cover three look, so the corner kind of sat outside. And when I came out of my second break, I saw him kind of sitting there, so I tried to keep a high angle uh, so Chase could just lead me to the back corner of the end zone. And then when he put the ball up, you know, I just tried to attack it and make the best effort I could on the ball. And then I ended up getting that foot down. So it was a great play to bring us back and, um, you know, kind of put us in that winning spot for the game. So who do you think had the best reaction when they saw it on ESPN? <laughs> uh, one of my boys sent me a, a, a Snapchat video, and he was just going nuts at the TV. And I, I thought that was hilarious because he was just screaming at the TV like, oh, you're a fool, like that's crazy. And it was a great play for sure to bring us back. How about your parents? I don't really know what they were doing, but I, I'm sure they were excited. In the last couple of years, Coastal Carolina has risen in the Sun Belt. What did that mean to you and the team to beat them this year? I mean, it was a huge win, a close game. Uh, what did that mean to you in, in this year in 2021 to beat them? So, I mean, when I played them in 2018 and 2019, you know, they weren't that good. I sat out in 2020 when I lost to them. We lost to those guys, and I think it was about, like, three points. And, like, a lot of the games that, that, that they lost in 2020, you know, like that game in Marshall, you know, I felt really bad because they always needed one play kind of at the end of the game to kind of win the game. And I always – I felt like I could have been that guy. So I, I was feeling kind of bad in 2020. And then so in 2021, I knew – that when they needed those players, I was going to be that guy that could get it done. And, you know, Marshall and Coastal, like you said, that ended up being true. I ended up getting touchdowns and sealing kind of that win for us. But, I mean, as far as Coastal, I mean, I never looked at them as if they were somebody that was good for our conference. I mean, they just kind of are like an average team to me. But it was definitely good to beat them. I take every team kind of the same every week. But, I mean, I definitely didn't, like, look up the Coastal, if anything. So App State rules the day in the Sun Belt. Yeah, I mean, of course we have our little up-and-down years. But, I mean, Coastal, they had a good quarterback. They had a couple good athletes and stuff. But, I mean, App's definitely been the top, you know, consistently for years. You mentioned that you opted out of the 2020 season. It was a COVID season. But you also rehabbed your knee as a result. How did that injury and rehab change your mindset moving forward? Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, when I was sitting out in those, for 2020 and missing those, those games, that was a whole different perspective. And, you know, it was a, you know, it was hard. You know, I had to have a lot of patience and, and stick to the plan and know what the goal was. You know, coming back from an ACL injury, you know, that's, that's one of the hardest things. And after I came back from that, you know, I have a lot of respect for anybody that's, you know, torn their ACL and was able to come back and compete at a high level. So, you know, but now my leg feels better than it did before. So I'm, you know, thankful for that. And I also grew a lot, you know, just as a person outside of football in that whole year, I got to have a chance to kind of get to know myself more and grow, you know, spiritually and things like that. So that year off was a lot of growth. And I went down to Tampa and I was training with Yo Murphy for a few months down there. I, was, I basically did combine training like a year before, you know, this year, like the year before I was coming out. So it was a great experience getting down there working with, you know, NFL guys and 
and stuff like that. So I just took it as a year of getting ready, you know, for the next level. Did you think about coming out after the 2020 season when you missed it? If anything, I was thinking about coming out after the 2019 season before I got hurt because I felt like, you know, I was feeling really good. I mean, but after I got hurt, I knew that, you know, scouts would want to see me come back again, you know. After I got hurt, I wasn't thinking about coming out, no. So, Corey, you've had a very productive career. Three seasons, you know, 24 touchdowns, nearly 2,300 yards, 150 catches, you know, pretty high average, too, 15.6 yards per catch. But, you know, you've been all-conference, many accolades. Which are you most proud of? Maybe not necessarily, but just what are you most proud of just in your career at App? I think overall what I'm most proud of is, you know, I've had a, a different offensive coordinator every single year that I've played football since sophomore year of high school. So, you know, just having that many different coaching staffs and being able to be consistent and consistently be the number one guy and fitting in all these different offenses, I feel like that is probably – the most proud thing I guess I could say is just being able to handle all the adversity I've been through, like with injuries, coaching staff, different teams, all of those type of things, you know, and being able to stay consistent and, you know, level up my game each year, no matter what the surroundings and environment. How do you think your coaches would answer that? What they would be most proud of? Probably just, you know, my leadership and just how I bring the rest of the team along. And, you know, if I'm in a room, you know, with receivers, you know, the coach doesn't have to worry about that room. You know, we're, if somebody runs a bad route, he already knows I'm going to say something to him. You know, me, me being a veteran guy, uh, you know, at the college, just because I, I cared a lot about App, you know, when I was there, just because I grew up, you know, coming through there. So I, I like to see the same traditions and culture, you know, being carried out. So I feel like just my competitive nature, and, I, you know, I came to work every day. And especially when I was younger, you know, I'd be in the facility all day, every day, you know, Sundays after the game. You know, I always was a guy that put in that extra work. You know, if you were at the facility during the summer, you would see me there. I was definitely that guy. So I feel like that's probably what the coaches would say. So Lou mentioned your accolades and your stats. How would you describe your game, Corey? What would you say are your biggest strengths? Uh, i say my biggest strengths are I have a big frame. So, you know, I can play big and physical, but I am also have the – attention to detail and the technique as a as a smaller guy you know I have good attention to detail with my routes and my releases and I can use my hands well I have a good understanding of the route tree so just being able to move me around I feel like is just you know a great attribute you know being able to put me in any position ask me to run any route on the route tree I feel like you can move me kind of anywhere so I feel like that's a that's a great skill set. What were your biggest takeaways from the NFL PA Bowl in California that you were invited to? How would you describe that whole week being surrounded by a lot of great coaches, a lot of great NFL players that have played in the league for a long, long time? Yeah, I mean, that week was phenomenal. I mean, I had, like, great coaching. You know, I was getting coached by Marvin Lewis. You know, I had some great coaching Josh Cribbs. You know, we even – um Rod Woodson was out there coaching the defense. So, you know, you're out there with top-level guys, and, you know, they were getting a lot of knowledge on the field, but also a lot of knowledge off the field, you know, like what to expect, you know, how to move as a – how to be a pro, basically, just on and off the field. And, you know, so I took a lot away away from those coaches, and then I got to compete with some, some high-level athletes across the country. So it was a great experience. How was the competition there? How were the cornerbacks out there? And how would you rate your performance during the week? Yeah, I mean, they were they were really good. Um, you know, you obviously have some guys that were better than other guys. You know, we had some guys that 
were coming here for a couple of days of practice and ignoring the reads. I mean, you had some guys that were projected high, some guys that weren't projected as high. So, I mean, it was good competition. But, you know, once you get past, you know, that, once you get to this level, I mean, it's pretty much, it's not that much difference, you know, between athlete to athlete. You know, you've got to use your technique and trust it and watch the film. So, it was great competition throughout the week. I mean, I feel like I had a really good week. You know, I was coming off. I had surgery, like, right before. So, I had surgery on my wrist. And so I hadn't caught any balls or anything before that week. So, but I went out there, you know, I didn't have any drops during practice. I had one little drop on the under route. That was the only drop I had uh, out of all week. So, uh, I mean, I feel like I had a good week. I was getting open. A lot of the scouts said they weren't impressed with what I was doing. So I feel like I put a lot of good days of practice and I feel like it was a great week. Corey, do you feel like you were snubbed by not being invited to Indy to the scouting combine? What do you mean by snubbed? Well, did you expect to be an indie? Do you think that you, based on what you have accomplished during your career, uh, do you feel like you're, you know, you're in the upper echelon wide receivers in this draft? So, upper echelon wide receivers usually get invited to the scouting combine. Right. Exactly. Exactly what you said. All right, taking the humble road. All right. I was saying, if you think I'm an upper echelon receiver, then I mean, I guess you were probably disappointed, right? like a lot of other people. So, I mean, if you think that, then yeah. And, I mean, if some people think that I wasn't good enough, then, I mean, that's just what it is. Well, I think you're a draftable wide receiver. A draftable wide receiver usually gets invited to the scouting combine. That's just my opinion. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like it could have went either way, but I didn't, I didn't look at it as a negative thing. You know, I feel like it gave me even more time to get ready for my pro day. So I feel like there's just as much importance on my pro day as it would be at a combine. So I don't really look like I missed out on anything. You know, I still got to have those meetings with those out in uh, at the NFLPA game. You know, I already had those conversations just getting out there and putting those good numbers out there on pro day. Where are you currently training for the NFL draft? Where have you been? Right now, I've been in, in North Carolina, around Charlotte area in Winston. How has that facility made you better to get ready for this pro day that's coming up on March 31st? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a I'm an attention to detail guy. So, anybody that's kind of coaching me, you know, has to be the same way. So, the guys that are coaching me, you know, they're huge with the attention to detail. You know, every rep I do is on film and we're getting numbers on every single thing. We're testing, you know, every muscle, you know, working on the fine-tuned details. So, I mean, we're hitting every angle when it comes to training. So we talked about some of the measurables you were looking to hit at your pro day. Corey, what are some of the other things that you really want to show scouts at the pro day? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, you know, the whole thing about pro day. I mean, I've had a lot of film out there. You know, I played, you know, over three years been a starter you know I got plenty of stats and touchdowns and catches so obviously they just it's time you know it's seen me play football so it's just time for them to get a number on me you know see what my 40 is see what my vertical bench press all those things are shuttle so I mean it's just really more about those type of things because they've already seen the football part so with the draft coming up expectations what do you what do you feel I mean I've had some great conversations with a lot of teams so I feel I feel really good, you know, about a few teams, and I feel like we've had some really good conversations, and there's a lot of interest, you know, from a, a good amount of teams. A few teams are kind of waiting for that number on that 40, you know, like you said, because, I mean, I have the film and the technique, you know, so I feel like when I go out there running anything better than a 4.49, I feel like that'll be a, a really good plus for my draft grade. So I feel like that'll solidify me, you know, in the top, at least getting going to a good spot.
All right, very good. Well, uh, Corey, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we'll give you an opportunity here to shout out your uh, social media handles and plug anything that you, you're involved in or anybody, anything. Go ahead, plug away. Sure, you can follow me on Twitter at CoreySutton1997 and on Instagram at CoreySutton2. All right, Corey, again, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, good luck through the process. Hope you knock it out of the park in your pro day and uh, hope to see you in camp this summer. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had a good time. So thanks again to Corey Sutton from Appalachian State, the Mountaineers. We'll see where he goes in the draft. Really cheering for this guy. He's a good dude and loved his conversation. Cleveland, they made the big uh, Deshaun Watson deal. Like, we're losing track of these deals, trying to get them all in there. But, yeah, there a couple of different things with this one. And, you know, first, from a football perspective, you have to say that Cleveland made a great move. Obviously, a 20-something franchise quarterback, top five quarterback in the league, when is that ever going to happen again where the guy becomes available? So they go all in. Even with these lawsuits looming, he gets a raise. All the money in his contract is guaranteed. So now this looks like a basketball or a baseball contract as to what I was saying before. So this really now is changing the landscape of how future deals are going to get done. Imagine Lamar, Joey Burrow. Justin Herbert, what what are they going to get? And then how much is going to be guaranteed? It's got to be all of it. Kirk Cousins kind of was following along. I mean, he was never going to get the really long-term thing. It took him four or five deals to get to that kind of money guaranteed. But here we are. So, yeah, big changes as far as that goes. Back to Watson. And then he gets a raise on top of the guarantee. That, that's, the, that's the nuttiness part of it. So from a football perspective, this instantly makes the Browns a little bit better. Yeah, they could use some other wide receivers. But, you know, to get a franchise quarterback at this stage of their career, let's see how it plays out. You know, again, he's used to playing in the South, used to playing, you know, warm weather, domes, and so forth. But now he goes to Cleveland and uh, there's going to be a lot of blowback. There already has been a lot of blowback from fans, from local media. But let's just, football perspective first, how would you assess the move? Well, Cleveland got better overnight. I mean, would you want, like, Baker Mayfield or Deshaun Watson? Even if Watson doesn't play in 2022, and all indications probably point to that just because of the, the way the salary, the way the contract is structured, because he'll face, like, a limited financial penalty for missed games in 2022. His salary this year is just going to be over a million dollars. So the Browns basically already structured it in a way thinking that probably going to miss games, if not the entire season. But Watson got more guaranteed money than any other player in NFL history. That's preposterous, Lou. He got more guaranteed years than any other player in NFL history. So, yes, the Browns gave up three first-rounders and a third and a fourth. No players were involved. But I do think, obviously, the Browns did get better overnight. Now they can ship off Baker Mayfield if anybody wants him. And it doesn't seem like anybody wants him. But Watson is the quarterback that Cleveland has been searching for for the last 30 or 40 years. Well, for sure. And, you know, again, from a football perspective, makes makes total sense. Going back to the whole 
On Thursday, it was told, reported that the Browns were out. It was down to Carolina and Atlanta. And I tweeted this out, I think, on the NFL Draft Blitz account, is that from a salesman's perspective, Andrew Barry and that crew did exactly what they're supposed to do. Always be closing. Don't take no for an answer. Now, maybe by getting back into it, they had to offer this kind of deal. Otherwise, you know, it was going to be Atlanta, perhaps New Orleans. A lot of factors here, but again, I'll stick with this mantra is that this is going to change the landscape for future contracts, and the guys with the biggest smiles on their faces are going to be Lamar, Herbert, and Burrow for now, and then the next group after them. Now, again, from the social aspect, I mean, I don't know. I'm not the moral majority. I'm not like this, this big, you know, injustice type thing. But again, there are 22 women out there that, that are accusing him. You've got female fans. You've got just even people in the city. You know, do they want to see these billboards of this guy who's potentially this sexual predator being the face of their franchise? Yeah, a lot of just tense days still coming for Cleveland. As far as the punishment goes, and and this is going to be interesting because, like you said, they structured the contract in such a way that it would be very uh, minimal as far as his punishment if he misses eight games, eight game checks on a million-dollar salary after he's getting like 230 guaranteed is peanuts. I believe that the Patriots did the same thing when Brady was facing his suspension for Deflategate. So now, does Goodell slow play the suspension, knowing that that is not going to play well at all if he suspends him for like six or eight games next year, knowing it's not going to cost Watson that much money? Just let him play until all these lawsuits get cleared up. What, what's the uh, findings of our investigation? Is there something in the contract that allows him to go beyond games or, or, or attach more money to it or just say, hey, we'll wait until the following year when we know, you know his salary is going to be in the 40 millions? Again, a lot's going on here. From a Browns fan's perspective, you know, this is, it's great that they got their guy, but then it's like, how did we get our guy? So it's a slippery slope. It's going to be a PR nightmare. The Browns did their research. They dug yeah, deep. I don't know how deep they went, Alex. I mean, it just sounds very sketchy, the, everything that they've said. Again, it doesn't look like they, they spoke to any of the plaintiffs, which, you know, it's a lawsuit, so that's probably not something that you want to do, nor do they even want to know, quite frankly. They're kind of, I'm sure they're hoping that Deshaun is able to write a check, which is probably going to be Cleveland Browns money. This isn't the first time that the Browns have taken a chance on somebody who has a sketchy past. I mean, look at Kareem Hunt. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. So they're willing to do it. I know it's a different regime in terms of the front office and the coaches, but they're still willing to do this. By the way, Watson has never had a running game like the Cleveland Browns have. He never had it with the Texans. And he has a much better offensive line with the Cleveland Browns than he ever had in all of his time with the Houston Texans. So that's already encouraging. They'll get some wide receivers. I have no doubt about it. And the Cleveland Browns. Well, they already Browns have Amari Cooper and some. So yeah, yeah. Again, from a football perspective, yeah, he's got everything that he that he needs. Uh, they'll keep adding players, better defense. So yeah, I mean, they're going to be good, no question, when he gets on the field. So, but again. 22 different massage therapists, and those are just the ones that have stepped up. 
I mean, it just sounds kind of sketchy. Most guys you hear, you know, they find one, and that's, hey, this person is good as gold. Usually it's a dude. You know, none of that whispers going around, but he's finding them on Instagram, Craigslist. Again, it, it just sounds a little too sketchy. What happens to Baker Mayfield, Lou? I mean, I think that's the big question wow. because everybody everybody is making moves right now in the quarterback uh, market. Everyone. Yeah. I mean, Matt Ryan gets traded to the Colts. Uh, the Falcons add Marcus Mariota. I mean, the only teams that are left, or maybe the only team that's left, but I'm not sure they want to take on Baker Mayfield. It's the Carolina Panthers. I mean, they've been striking out while everyone else has been making moves. And what are they going to do? They're going to trade for Baker, and then what? Baker Mayfield is just going to, you know, during training camp, he's going to battle it out with Sam Darnold? I mean, I guess the, the Panthers is the only option that Baker has at this point. Well, from what they're saying, that I don't know that the Panthers are really interested, right? I mean, he's guaranteed $18.8 million. Like you said, there aren't that many partners, so teams aren't going to be, like, running to the Browns to say, yes, please take our offer when they could just wait, and more than likely they, they might have to cut him. Here's a guy that goes from the number one pick to controversial lightning rod to, oh, geez, I want to be, you know, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to Cleveland or trying to force their hand. Now I'm out of a job. He's going to have to eat not just a slice of humble pie. He's going to have to eat the whole damn thing because there's a really good chance he's not a starting quarterback next season. And for all the emotions that he shows when things weren't going his way or the arrows are being slung at him, his reactions, this is going to be a huge test. He can still play. He's still a good player. Maybe an above-average NFL quarterback, but not elite. I don't know that any of these teams are going to be willing to give up, especially a guy that's just going to come in to compete for your starting job, to pay him nearly $19 million guaranteed. It's kind of a scary situation for him right now, and I think really he's going to have to show some, some humility. But he and Jimmy G might be not in the same boat personality-wise, but just the fact that kind of all the, all the chairs, the music's been playing, people are going around, the seats are being taken. The Panthers, I think, are the only one that are still left. Seattle could have an interest, but I don't know if they're willing to take on that contract just for him to compete with Drew Locke for their starting position. By the way, I would take Jimmy G over Baker Mayfield any day of the week. And if I was one of those teams, I would let Jimmy G compete, you know, for a starting job with Sam Darnold with the Panthers, or Jimmy G compete with Drew Locke in Seattle. I think that would make sense. You know, you and I last week talked about Matt Ryan possibly being a fit with the Colts, and once again, Chris Ballard continues to just go for the veterans. He doesn't trust him. <laughs> he doesn't trust himself drafting a young quarterback. I don't think he wants that responsibility. So he said, okay, I'll take Matt Ryan, who's 100 years old, but he's been to the Super Bowl. He has been successful. We're not asking him to win games. He's going to be more of a caretaker, and he gets traded for a third-round pick. I think he'll be 37 when the, when the season starts. I don't know that he's had any real serious injuries in his career. Uh, he's been a bit of an Iron Man for the Falcons. I think there was only one other start by a different quarterback in his career there, Joey Harrington, way back in the day. I think I don't know if he had to miss a game. So as far as the Colts are concerned, the way things played out, 
after they got rid of Wentz, I don't know that it could have gone much better because you're looking at maybe a disgruntled Baker coming from Cleveland, which you'd have to you know trade for, or uh, you know one of these other guys. Are you going to bring in Jameis Winston? Are you going to bring in Mariota? You know, so now you you get an adult, you get the the ultimate professional. No, he's not going to be the guy he was when he was younger. But you've got a team that was two and five in one score games, and in a lot of those cases, it was Carson Wentz making poor decisions to basically lose games for them. Where Matty Ice has been kind of a fourth quarter gem uh, over the years. Now again, 37 years old. Take for what it's worth. He's got basically two years here with the Colts, maybe beyond. I don't know. Some of these guys are playing a little bit later in their careers. Maybe he only wants to play two more years. But I think based on what was available to them, him coming available, and they only had to give up, what, a third-round pick? I think they did okay because otherwise you're waiting for Jimmy G. He's not going to be able to participate in any of the uh, OTAs or anything like that, maybe not until uh, training camp. Who knew what was going to happen with Baker, Deshaun, all this other mess. I don't think they wanted to go in either of those directions, nor was Houston going to trade him in the division. So actually, again, it's not the greatest, but I think it's as good as they could do in this market, and I think it's going to be okay. And I think it might be similar to what Philip Rivers was able to do with them when he was there for just a year. So, again, they have to address other stuff. I mean, they've got some offensive line issues, tackle. They need some weapons as, as receivers, but maybe Julio Jones goes there to reunite with Matty Ice. But Julio hasn't been healthy, so still moves to be made. But I think just on the surface, given what was available, they did as well as they could. It's definitely an upgrade over Carson Wentz. Um, yes. Even though, like I said, he's definitely past his prime, but I love Matt Ryan. He's a true professional, and the Colts are going to be a running team, okay? Jonathan Taylor, ride that horse for the next couple of years behind that offensive line, and Matt Ryan can do those play-action passes, get those short passes, you know, on you know third and four, third and five, and I think they will be successful. So the Colts did well, considering that, the market, the QB market that's out there or the one that has dwindled. So crazy offseason, Lou. A lot of moves. Certainly didn't see this coming. I mean, we knew that maybe Russell gets moved, that Deshaun might get moved if his situation clears up. I certainly didn't see these wide receivers being on the move. Well, the one guy everybody thought was going to move ends up going back to Green Bay and all hell breaks loose. So, yeah, it's uh, certainly surprising, exciting for people like us who nerd out on this crap. Um, Gives us an opportunity to kind of give our opinions and see what's going to happen coming up here. Speaking of things that are coming up, Pro Days have started in full force. I mean, obviously, they did at the beginning of the month. But some of the larger ones, the quarterback ones, that happened this week. Kenny Pickett, who's, oh, by the way, his hand grew an eighth of an inch since the combine. I don't know if you saw that, Alex. That, that was big news. Malik Willis's Pro Day yesterday was very interesting to me. I, quite frankly, had maybe saw him play in a college game once. A lot of highlights, but as far as just watching a Liberty game, I watched maybe half of one. But just watching him 
in that pro day, just the way that he relates to the people that he's working with, the complete just joy that he approached it with and showing love to him. I mean, he had a real, and again, for you older folks that can remember, a real Magic Johnson-type quality to him, his personality, the infectious smile, just the joy of being able to do what you love to do and showing it. Uh, a lot of times you look at these pro days, and these guys look very tense. It's quiet. You know, they're almost like they're pressing because you've got the entirety of NFL staff there watching you. And he was like playing in the backyard with his friends. And I just thought that was so cool. And I don't know how good of an NFL player he's going to be, but that just really struck me as, hey, this is a guy you'd love to have on your team. Uh, and then Matt Corrales is, is today, so the three of the top quarterbacks going back to back to back here. Uh, I don't know, Alex, if you got a chance to, to watch any of them or uh, having been to pro days before, what you can add as far as uh, your experience. I have been to plenty pro days out there in the past. I hate them. They mean absolutely nothing to me. I'm sour on these pro days because afterwards, you know, guys like Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper go on TV and say, Malik Willis is in my top 10. He's my number one quarterback based on the pro day. But you know what? If you watched him against Old Miss this season, go back and watch that film. Because when he faced a real defense, an SEC defense, and yes, I do realize that Old Miss has better players than Liberty does on all fronts, on defense and offense, Malik Willis looked confused. He didn't know, like, what defense and what scheme they were playing. He threw three picks in that game. He threw zero touchdowns. He looked confused, dazed, not accurate, didn't know where the safeties were, didn't know whether it was cover two or man defense. The guy has a huge learning curve to go for, and... I would say, you know, Lamar Jackson was a better runner than Malik Willis was coming out, but I would compare the two as far as passers are concerned. I realize that Malik Willis has a strong arm, and everybody raved about it yesterday, that the ball comes out so beautifully out of his hand. But you know what? It doesn't matter when you can't read defenses. And if you think that Old Miss, which is not considered a great defense, that's not Alabama, that's not Georgia, when he's going to face a real NFL defense, I think that's when we're going to find out what Malik Willis is, is made of. He's not my number one quarterback. I think he's my number four or number five. I wouldn't take him in the first round. And I think Matt Corral is going to be a better pro than Malik Willis. So not to get too deep in the weeds on this, do you, how many of these guys do you think go in the first? Well, I think eventually Malik Willis is going to be in the first round. I think Kenny Pickett will also be in the first round. And I think Matt Corral will also go in the first round. So I'm going to say three. None of them should go in the top 20. I'm just, I'm so against, I know somebody is going to take this guy. Somebody's going to trade up because you're going to hear, oh, this guy is falling because none of them should be taken in the top 10, regardless of what happens from now on, like how well they interview or how well they do in the pro day. I don't think anybody should be taken in the top 10, but I know one will go in the top 15. So I'm going to say a total of three. A couple of them will, will fall to the second round, like Sam Howell, I think, is more of a second rounder. This is not a good quarterback class, by the way, if you're looking for one. So I applaud those teams for making those moves in free agency and getting some of those veterans on board. 
And even if some of them were preposterous, like commanders, you know, trading for Carson Wentz, but I command somebody like, you know, the Colts for going after Matt Ryan when they realize that, hey, none of these rookie quarterbacks are going to help us out. All right, gang, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, again, this offseason continues to surprise. I'm sure it will continue to as we move forward. So for my co-host, Alex, I'm Lou. Peace.